0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Journeyman Fire Podcast. It's been a while since we've uh, recorded one of these. I'm super excited to be with you guys today. We've got Justin Lorenzen from Oklahoma City Fire. I'm your host, Grant Schwalbe, and today we're going to be talking about GRABS, Firefighter Rescue Survey, and just a whole bunch of stuff. So welcome, Justin. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. So tell us about your uh, journey into the fire service to get started. Well, it's kind of different from most others. Um, I wasn't—I didn't grow up in the fire service.
1: I uh, didn't have any family in the fire service. In fact, my original intent was to be a career paramedic. Uh, so I went to EMT paramedic school right out of high school and uh, got my paramedic and then was trying to find a job and happened to get hired with Noble Fire Department, which is a small combination department just south of Norman where I live, and uh, got to work with them. They initially were an intermediate advanced service. So they ran the ambulance and um, the fire side of it. We had four full-time and then we had volunteers come in and uh, pick up or help out on fires if we needed a second rig or something like that. But uh, I started there. Once I was there, we uh, developed paramedic protocols and um, started paramedic there so we could actually do our ALS stuff, which was good because we have a large area down there at the time uh, that we covered with the ambulance. So it was not calm. I mean, it's very common to have a 30 minute response time and then turn around 30 minutes in uh, route down to the hospital. So you got pretty deep in your protocols. And it was, it was humbling as a new medic, that's for sure. Um, but I learned a lot of good stuff. And I was there for about three years. And I just wanted to do more, be more busy. Um, we ran about, I want to say, two, 3,000 calls a year, maybe. And I just wanted to go somewhere where I had a little more um, opportunity to grow. So uh, that's when I applied for Oklahoma City Fire and got hired there. Um, Got hired in Oklahoma City about 2008. So I just had about 13 years with the city now. And uh, it's awesome. I love it.
0: So what's the, for the the people listening, what's the makeup of Oklahoma City Fire? And how did you progress through that? So I
1: actually got a letter in the mail. They were looking for paramedics because they're trying to uh, improve their ALS system. So I got a letter, and at the time, they were giving paramedics preference points, and I applied. Um, there was roughly about 1,500 to 2,000 applicants, and we had ended up with a class of like 39. So um, I was fortunate to get in that class, and then um, once we got through there, graduated, Been like I said, been there for the last 13 years or so, we got roughly 800 firefighters, about somewhere in there. It's what we try to keep. Um, we run, the uh, ABC shift, um, 38, 39 stations, um, just a larger department cover like 640 square miles, something like that. And a little bit of everything you got your urban, you got your rural, um, high rise, just kind of a little bit of everything. You
0: guys transport
1: there? We do not. We have a private company that transports EMSA for our ambulance service. Um, every five years or so it comes up on the talk about who's going to take the contract. And there's always talk that fire's going to take it. But to be honest, man, that'd be a, that'd be a big hurdle to try to take over that.
0: There are probably so many people listening to say, Oh my gosh, I wish I was on a fire department could do medic stuff and not, not have to transport. So talk to us a little bit about your uh, journey and your path into getting involved with rescue survey and grabs and search and how you got passionate about that.
1: So I'd say a lot of this started uh, when I made driver. Uh, for our department, at five years, you're eligible to test for driver, and um, which is early. Uh, I didn't make my first test. About a year later, I made my second test. And when, we, when you make driver here, yeah, you're the, the driver of the rig. But if for some reason that shift your officers off, then you now become the acting officer for that rig. So that was a big eye-opener for me because as a five-year firefighter so i thought i pretty much knew what i needed to know until i was given the responsibility of being in charge of three or four other people on the rig and then i realized really fast how much i didn't know so i would say that was one of the biggest turning points for me um where i really started to dive in started reading started getting into the books, started going to outside training outside conferences just to try to learn and know as much as i could um mainly because I owed that to the guys that I was working with and I owed it to the guys that I would uh, sometimes be in charge of. So for instance, when I got made a driver, my first assignment was one of our single company ALS engines and the first two shifts, yeah, my officer was there. It was great. And then for like the next month and a half, he was off on vacation. So it was just me. I just brand new driver, station officer for the first month or so. That was a big, uh, was a big deal. I mean, it was, very humbling and very nerve wracking.
0: What kind of training did they give you ahead of time for that? Or was it kind of just, that's the monkey move up type thing and no additional so, stuff.
1: During that time, um, we have what we call a sergeant's academy. So you make driver and then the next week after the test and all the, uh, that process, then you go to the, the training center and you go for a one week academy and they put you through. A series of uh, leadership classes. Um, they they really spent a lot more time on what to do if you're riding out more than what you what to do if you're driving. And it wasn't a it wasn't a bad academy by all means. But being down, I've been down at training now for a little over three years, and since then the group we've pretty much got a fresh set of guys down at training, and we've turned that one week sergeants academy, captains academy, majors academy, all those academies turned into a two week. And now they usually start the beginning or the beginning of the academy with like a certification of some type, whether it's ISO, um, inspector, officer one, officer two, that kind of stuff. And then the rest of the academy is hands on uh, practical skills and classes that pertain to that position. So we've tried to gear more towards on the Sergeant's academy um, sergeant stuff. Now, we didn't leave out any of the acting out responsibilities because obviously those are still important but their main sole uh, priority is to know their rig, know everything about the rig and um, what they need to be taken care of with that, those responsibilities. So I would say for our department, we're pretty fortunate because they look at those and assess uh, what needs to be covered, what needs to be taken care of. And um, so far, I think it's going, it's progressed into something really good. And we're still, we build on each, each Academy as training staff. We'll give the, uh, the candidates a survey basically what they thought of the class. It could be an a- anonymous or it could be they could put their name on it, what we could prove in, what they liked, what they didn't like. And we changed the academy, each academy, to what the feedback we'll kind of get from the guys. And so far, it's it's been really good.
0: That's cool. What you know, you said you're in the academy, you guys got a new uh, group in there. What's the academy staff made up? Is that like a bid thing, or you get promoted and you're in the academy, or how's it? Are you able to transfer so, back to the road, or going to talk us? So, about
1: yeah, the way ours works is basically being down in fire training as a fire training officer, you're still part of suppression. So we can still go out and work exchange time on the rigs. Um, there was times during like the ice storms and this last big snow that we would man our training rig and go out when they're reenergizing uh, different neighborhoods and stuff, or you know house fires kicking off from the weather heads and that kind of stuff. So we can still go out and work on the rigs um, when we have that time to be able to do so. But what our training staff consists of is basically we have three officers, three majors, and three drivers. And how you get to that position is when one of those spots opens, they send out a basically who's interested email. And those people that are interested will submit a resume um, and a letter of interest, and then they'll do interviews and select somebody from that, and then that's who comes into training. And we go from working our shifts work in the rigs to coming down to training, working uh, six to five, four days a week, one day of that week being a rotating day off, basically. So we'll work 10-hour days and have a day off during that week.
0: Very cool. All right, so let's, let's transition over to firefighter rescue survey and what you're doing with Oklahoma City.
1: Yeah, so this, that kind of stemmed from, let would say, about roughly three years ago um 2019 we had a real high fatality year um it was in the january february and at the time before i came out of training i was driving one of our battalion chiefs uh, 603 district 603 chief and we had significant amount of fatalities that next coming year um or towards the end of that year i was was thinking well i proposed to our command staff is there a way that we could take not only we get our fatalities but when we make our rescues can we have some way that that's notified to the training staff, whether it's a group email or something so that we can submit those to FRS. And at first they were, I wouldn't say hesitant, but they weren't real sure because they didn't know what kind of information is being submitted. Um, they didn't know, with it being on a public platform, all of our incident information, uh, fatalities, that kind of stuff. So there wasn't, there was kind of a little hesitation on that at first. So instead of just leaving it at that, um, I got into looking into our uh, software that we use here at work. For our fire department, we use Microsoft 365. And in that, they have different apps. Well, one of the apps that they have is Microsoft Forms, which for me was super user-friendly because I, by all means, know anything about computers. So this was something easy for me to get in there and and be able to um, basically create a survey. And all I did was I went to FRS's website. They put a list of their questions on their website, Uh, Pretty much mimic those with the exception of one or two, and created a survey that had a link, and then um, created a QR code off of that link and added it to a grabs poster that's in the uh, the FRS uh, OKC story article. And on that grabs poster, they can scan that QR and take it straight to the survey, and then be able to fill out surveys for grabs. Now this was more accepted because with it being on our internal server. You had to have an Oklahoma City employee email in order to access the survey, so or access any results or anything like that. So it kept it internal, and so that went live uh, July of 2020. Um, prior to, I'm sorry, yeah, July of 2020, June 2020. Um, so once that went live, I went back and researched the rescues we had that year of 2020, and I actually took it further back in our NIMfer system by searching through and trying to find where we had rescues as far as searching victim for in the narrative and then on building fires. And I got it back to about, I think I stopped at about 2013. Um, but for 2020, what I came up with was we had uh, for Oklahoma city fire fire, we had 641 structure fires out of the 641 structure fires. We had 18 fire victims out of those 18 fire victims, seven were on scene fatalities. So they were right off the bat, either, um, the structure was too burned before they got there or vice versa. And then out of the 11 remaining, they were removed from the structure by, by search and rescue and transported to the hospital. So, and I believe three of those were removed without a pulse and four were removed with the pulse. So by having that data and being able to I try to share reports with the field quarterly of what our data looks like. Cause with Microsoft forms, once you put in the survey, it automatically pops populates it into like a pie graph, uh, bar graph, and that kind of stuff. And it's, like I said, it's real similar to how FRS does their stuff. So once that was created, went live, um, Brian brush, he got wind of it and added me to the FRS groups or FRS guys, kind of their main group, the original group because he wanted them to see kind of what we were doing as Oklahoma City as still trying to capture our, our winds, basically. And uh, just this year, our first rescue we had this year in January, um, with uh, Chief Brush doing his practicum and his, that whole uh, research project, he emailed our command staff. And the same thing he emails everybody else when he comes across those rescues about, hey, this is what I'm doing with OSU. This is my research project. Would you uh, be willing to submit this on fire rescue survey? Also, here's a template for uh, possible policy you could put in place and so on. Well, about probably the same day that he got that email, I got an email from our deputy chief. He's like, hey, did you take care of this or did you get this email? I was like, uh, yes, sir, I got it. He's like, what, are you going to put that in or you want me to put it in? I was like, well, I, okay, chief, I thought you didn't want us to put that in on FRS." He's like, well, I'm good with that. As long as it doesn't have any HIPAA issues or anything like that, which it doesn't. Um, And that's the good thing about FRS. They're very transparent. They don't use any information that shouldn't be used. um, And none of their information that they get is made to use for any type of profit or anything like that. It's solely to make our job better and make us better for the citizens. And I think once that was made clear to our command staff, they're all in now. So, We went from just having our internal to they're all in on us putting it on FRS and contributing to that national survey.
0: Really cool. Who can access that information from within your organization?
1: As far as our internal survey? Yeah. So the actual, since I built, I'm the administrator for our uh, survey. Um, I'm the only one that accesses the results, but I can share them to anybody. I can share the link to whoever. And that's pretty much what I do, or I try to do. Um, I say quarterly, but it kind of depends on how many rescues have we had. If we hadn't had any rescues that that quarter, then obviously there's nothing really to to uh, report to the rest of the field. Uh, but I try to make it to where it's as easily as easily accessible to um, uh, to the field because that's the whole point of it. So they can see where we're finding people, uh, how fast we're getting them out, and so on by what means and all that kind of stuff. And what I found with that too, Grant was. Just the, I think I've got 43 to 45 rescues recorded um, up until this year in our survey. And then the the percentages on the different questions and everything almost add up exactly to the national survey, as far as 46% of our victims are found in bedrooms. You know, our hotspot time that we find victims between midnight and 5.59. um, All those, I mean, they're lining up almost exactly with with the national survey
0: um that's cool what so what are you guys doing in training as you take that data Do you take that data are you doing monthly training or how are you incorporating that into the to get the crew level
1: so um we try to incorporate it in just about any academy we have where we talk about strategies tactics and that kind of stuff which is pretty much every academy uh the first time that we've incorporated it was here back in this last i think december of 2020 we did a search train-the-trainer because what we've tried to do in the, in the past what we've done is we want to do district or citywide training. We would, on a certain shift, we would have a rig from every district or whatever come down at certain time slots. Well, with freaking 39 stations, that takes two or three shifts on that shift to get everybody down through that training. And logistic-wise, I mean, we've got stations that are 30, 45 minutes from training. So having those rigs out of service and then, of course, COVID happened, it just, it wasn't logistically possible. So what we, the model we chose instead of that is having the district chief select certain district coaches for their district, two or three guys that they felt could come back and teach this information and they would come down to training and go through our class and then take that back to the districts and teach the stations. So we did that in December with the search class and the PowerPoint that I built for that was primarily, um, frs data for the i think it was the first 1500 rescues or no the first 1170 is what it was because um, that's what we had at the time i didn't have enough data on our side with our survey because we hadn't had it uh, live for that long but um, that's pretty much my whole powerpoint is a lot of their statistics and then the skills and tactics that back up those statistics and that's kind of where we started and it's still really young for us um, a lot of our a lot of our guys are not used to, for instance, the tripod position. You know, they're used to still crawling on all fours or when when needed, you know, low-vis and that kind of stuff. Um, VES recently changed for our department. Up until just a couple years ago, we only did VES for known victim, known location. Well, now we do VES regardless. Only now we refer to that more as a target search. So VES, whether you have a known victim or or not, uh, but now we say we're going to target the bedrooms on this house. We're going to target Bravo Charlie corner because that's a bedroom and be able to go in and start our search there. And with that, one of the other things that we're trying to push too is letting guys know that we don't, as primary search, we don't have to always go in out the side right behind fire tech. take that opportunity to either take Charlie side or take a window um, to the bedrooms, target your bedrooms, target your, your known occupied spaces of that structure. Rather than falling right behind fire attack and then everybody bottlenecking in the hallway and stacking up, because I mean, you get guys, you know, we get twenty, thirty guys show up on a on a single story house fire, and you got a nine hundred square foot house, you know how that goes. You got ten, fifteen guys in the hallway, you can't even move. So, trying to trying, but it's hard changing that because guys are so used to what they've always done. So it's it's a work in progress, but I think we're I think we're getting somewhere.
0: Uh, maybe you could describe to us what you guys get on a regular alarm and how you do divvy out your assignments. If it's IC driven or SOG driven, or and who's doing your searches and stuff like that.
1: So on a typical, just a, um, a regular residential house fire, we'll get three engines and a ladder, uh, two battalion chiefs, a CSL, which is our community service liaison, and an ambulance. MC unit. Um, obviously, typically our first engine is engines assigned fire attack. Uh, they'll take command be fire attack and then it just kind of depends on the chief and the situation whether search is assigned next or ventilation is assigned next, assigned next. Um, we are a very aggressive department when it comes to ventilation pretty much almost every fire not all but almost every fire there's somebody on the roof cutting a hole uh, very big uncoordinated ventilation fire attack um, but search is also a one that's also set right away too i mean like it kind of depends on the it depends on the call, and I kind of wish we would automatically assign search with fire attack or right after fire attack um, rather than maybe ventilation, but I don't think we're far from that, and with a lot of our battalion chiefs that we have that are out in the field, they, they're pretty good at making that call. So um, we'll go from that to um, an additional alarm, get you another engine and a ladder, and then, of course, our commercial get more than that, but we that's one thing that – can either be a hindrance, but also can be a help is having that many guys on scene, you know. Not a lot of departments will have, because our typical engine's a minimum four. Um, We're almost to the point where every engine in the city's ALS, I think we have got one or two engines left that are not, which uh, requires four personnel with a paramedic, and then our ladders run three-man minimum. And then our chiefs, uh, our battalion chiefs, they have a, a driver, a DAA, and then themselves, so. We have quite the manpower that actually
0: that show up. Shoot. Um, so if if I'm doing Sergeant's Academy and you're talking to us about search, what are you explaining to those guys? Say, hey, if you're assigned search, these are the expectations. This is where you're going to start. This is what you're going to do with your four-person crew. These are the tools that you should be taking. What, what are you telling those guys? So starting out, I and I start out basic, um, like
1: in my search PowerPoint. We go through reading the structure, you know, reading your windows, um, your larger windows, your smaller windows, your bathroom windows, bedroom windows, that kind of size. And I walk them through a couple of different uh, examples, uh, pictures, and then also how they could read the structure by their aerial. Because um, on our CAD system, with our CADs we have on the rigs, you can actually pull up that bird's eye view, that Google Maps aerial, um, and some of the clues they can get off looking at that aerial. And then we'll go into more of uh, other tools you can use as far as just studying your district. Obviously, the best way to know your district and know the structures you have in there is by getting out and seeing it before anything happens. Um, our EMS calls we run a lot of, and we have several neighborhoods that have houses that are similar, almost pretty much the same in a neighborhood cookie cutter, but maybe just a floor plan swap. By knowing that kind of stuff in your district and your area, you should have a pretty good idea of what the inside of that looks like. So I start with that stuff basic wise, and then um, move from there into the statistics of where we're finding our victims time of day um, and that kind of stuff. And then we get into the actual um, tactic side of it as far as position. Obviously we tr- we'll tr- teach the, the tripod position. We teach that low viz or zero viz. Um, obviously if we get into a structure and you know you've got, you know, four or five feet of visibility, we're not going to get down on in the tripod and scoot around to the house. We can duck walk and move faster than we'll do that. So, I mean, it's a lot of it's, Letting them know that they're allowed to think. I mean, there's not one way to everything, and things are going to change. There's different variables for each fire. So, um, but yeah, I'll start with the basics. Obviously, I have a tool. I prefer the Halligan. Um, and then get into those spaces that we know where those victims would be most occupied. It's the biggest thing. Uh, one of the things I hit on, like we kind of talked about, was that we're trying to push is not always, you know, you don't have to use the front door find a window and one of the things I got back from one of the guys in the class was I understand what you're saying but I feel like when I go back to the stations and explain this to some of the older guys that they're going to say well you're telling us you just take windows we're going to start affecting the flow path well that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is if we take a window with well, essentially we're doing a VES well what do we do when we VES we isolate so that whole flow path thing that doesn't that's out the window now unless we can't isolate it okay I get that but then you have to communicate that and come up with the other game plan. So that's what some of the other things we talk about, um, different, uh, victim removals through a window, um, victim drags and, uh, what else just the different basic stuff of it is pretty much where I've started with a lot of that stuff. And, and then getting them to get the exposure and, um, get the buy-in to do some of their own research, not just take what I'm saying for it, go to the website, dig into the data and, uh, get that information for yourself.
0: So if they're arriving with a four person rig, are they splitting two and two or how are your guys doing that? So when they arrive?
1: Typically they, well, it depends on the crew. So that's one of the things I talk about. So if you show up with four guys, there is absolutely no reason why if you come say Bravo side and you've got two bedroom windows, um, more than likely two different rooms. There's no, if, if you're comfortable with your crew, the officer's comfortable with his firefighters or comfortable with his driver, and wants to take him and a firefighter in one bedroom and the, and the uh, driver and a firefighter in another bedroom, then by all means, but you have to have that comfortability. And then um, either that or send two interior and then have two looking for targets or opportunity on the exterior. So you're, you're covering two different areas. Now if I'm sending two, if we're all four going in and we split, then make sure we got two going to the bedrooms, make sure we got two doing the rest of the house. So it's absolutely an option. More than likely, most of the time we have, uh, our ladders are assigned search. Not always, just kind of depends on the situation. So if you have three, then our most common type of search is oriented. So we have an oriented officer and he has his two rabbits and he's sending them frog leaping bedroom to bedroom um, as he's trying to keep them oriented and moving through the
0: structure. You guys do much uh, with ticks and training? for yes. wise? Yeah, we use the ticks. Um,
1: we don't rely on the ticks um we have i use them more with uh oriented search oriented officer and then we also use them uh or we teach using them with the ves uh, with our we do a lot of live fire ves down here and what we found too is we've got it really rolling because we'll have some of our live fires where they may take a window and go in to do ves and that when they're going in it's looking out the window same when they're going in so with that and the heavy smoke and everything, it's going to be hard to use that tick and be looking in an Another thing we've been trying to get them to get used to is send two guys in that window. If you got a guy that goes in and he finds a victim, especially if it's a large victim, because we tell all of our members and our recruits on a fire, you'd expect your victim to be 300 pounds and naked covered in butter. That's pretty much what it's going to be like. And so if that's what we're telling them, then why don't we send in more help? one person is not going to be able to get that person out of that window, at least not efficiently. So send another person in there to help out and get in there and get that, get that victim out. And then you still have your, your officer, your guide on the ladder that can help once they get them to that or outside the window.
0: Very cool. So you look through all this data, obviously not just on uh, FRS, but within your own organization. What have you been most surprised about trending?
1: I would say, one, I would say the smoke alarms. I think our, our smoke alarms, because on our, on our survey I have, did they have a working smoke detector? And then if they did have a working smoke detector, smoke detector was it installed by us? So with our Project Life uh, program, we have smoke detectors, and we'll go out and if we're on an EMS call, and they don't have a working smoke detector, we'll put it in. And then the, the rig or the company that puts it in will write their rig, and their shift on that smoke detector. And we've had rescues where they go in, they had a working smoke detector, and they go pull the smoke detector and it shows what rig and everything's on there and that we installed it. And um, and it may have only been like a month prior or whichever, because they write the date on there as well. So that's been pretty interesting. Um, with our survey, we've also uh, developed a Google Maps, kind of like FRSs. You go on uh, my Google Maps and with the data in, an X, in the Excel format, input that to the map, and then select, when ask how you want it identified on the map, select incident address. So, on our Google Maps, all of our rescues are on that map with a, a little icon. If it's green, they're removed with a pulse. If it's red, they're removed without a pulse. If you click on that icon and it shows all of the information of that survey they put in, every question. And um, my goal with that is once we get more data put into it, because I still plan on using our internal survey on top of FRS just so we can have our data uh, department specific. But my goal with that is maybe with that we can identify hotspots around the city that may need more smoke alarm canvassing or may lead more um, juvenile fire setting education or so on by, by identifying different parts of the city with that with that map. That would be one thing I think is, is uh, pretty cool to see and trending. Um, another thing that I got on there that I'd like tracking is how well we're using our Sino kits. We started using Sino kits a long time ago. Our medical director is real big. He's real progressive and uh, real big on new stuff that's got good data behind it. Um, so we started using those a while back, and we've gotten a lot better at man, dumping those things out every time we get a rescue. So that comes out of the structure they're get a Sino kit. Um, and trying to see that what I would like to see is be able to get the data once after the hospital, because right now our data pretty much stops when they're transported. We don't get much feedback from the hospitals um, on patient status due to HIPAA stuff, but that may change here in the near future with our new emergency reporting system. From what I've been told, there's a possibility that we'll be able to track the, the patient from time they were rescued, till time they are either discharged from the hospital or deceased in the hospital. So that would be, that'll be a big turning point because I'll be able to tell who's gotten the Sino kit and who, who that's been effective for, which we already know it works. We already know it's effective, but just more data to it that I, that we'd be able to,
0: to uh, see. So what are you finding out effective wise, those kits?
1: Um, So far I haven't got, I know we've had, Man, pretty much everybody that we've pulled out of the structure probably in the last year to two years has gotten one, I mean, with a few exceptions. Um, now, to be able to tell whether that's changed the outcome of the patient or not, I, I don't have that yet just because we, we haven't had enough where the, that many have gotten it every single time as far as being pulled from the structure. Um, but that's one thing that I, I plan on digging into once we get more data to go with it. Um, now, outside of that, I haven't been able to find a whole lot. I think there's some studies, uh, maybe in England, I can't remember where it is but of the the efficacy of it, um, but I haven't got any true numbers to it yet.
0: Yeah, it, it slips my mind right now, but I think uh, on the Grabs podcast, I was talking with uh, someone, I think from Charlotte, and they were they got dove pretty good into the cyano kit. I think they've got some pretty good data. In my area, we had them for a while, and I think we bought them on grants. And I know they're not cheap, but they're definitely effective. And then over the years, they just kind of have gone away. I know there are some um, cheaper alternatives and stuff, but are you carrying them on every rig or with uh, battalion chiefs, or where are those being carried for you guys? So they
1: run, I want to say they run about 900 to 1,000 a kit. At least that's what they were running. Um, We keep one on every battalion chief's car, which we have six battalion chiefs on ship. And then we keep one on our uh, rescue and, I believe, one on our um, hazmat. And our, and like I said, every fire gets two battalion chiefs, and then every commercial gets the rescue and the hazmat.
0: Very cool. I think the big thing, I love that you guys are looking at the front end of uh, being there for them with the smoke detectors and, and juvenile fire centers. That's, that's pretty good data. Or stuff that you're taking from the data. What can you say to, to chiefs or anybody that's hesitant on doing the firefighter rescue survey at how you put your program together and you know if they could get a hold of you or offer any advice to them to get one of these programs in their own area? So I'll start by saying
1: it's completely understandable if they're hesitant on it. Um, all municipalities have, have the right to guard their information as far as um, their incident information, that kind of stuff. I totally get that. Um, and to add to that, nothing against our command staff. They, I mean, I totally get where they're coming from, and that's why we, we went throughout that we did. Um, I would say to those chiefs to um, spend some time researching what FRS is, talk to Chief Brush, talk to some of the guys um, with the group, and understand that there's nothing hidden with our data. It's completely transparent, and there's no intentions of that stuff being used for anything, profit, anything like that. It's solely to um, improve our tactics and improve our job for the civilians. I mean, that's the, that's the 100% number one goal. Um, But absolutely, yeah, if they want to reach out to me, I'm more than happy. Um, Getting any data is better than no data. Even if a department wants to have their internal survey and not necessarily submit the details, but at least if they they wouldn't mind just sending numbers. If they could tell us, hey, this year so and so department we had 20 rescues and 15 of those rescues were removed and transported. Hey that I mean that still helps with the with the national numbers. So um, if that's what they're comfortable with. Ideally we'd like to see everybody input FRS. I think right now we're getting like a 30% 30% response rate from the total rescues from what brush put out here not too long ago um but it's gotten better It's gotten significantly better for the, for the website and for the data overall um, but yeah at least at a minimum doing something internal so you can at least the the benefits from capturing that data i think is the biggest thing so we've had a couple departments reach out to us um on frs about hey, we didn't realize we had this many rescues in a year, and we didn't realize the importance of this data until now. So now we've got at least one department that's um, starting their own internal that should go live by the end of this month. I talked to one of the guys from there. And then there's another department that's working, and it's got it in the works to do the same. So, I mean, even, even if they could do that and just get the data uh, to improve their stuff through their
0: department and just see their their statistics and their rescues, that's, uh, that's a win in my book. Yeah, start capturing the data. That way you don't need to have Justin go back in to 2013 and try to backtrack any of this stuff. <laughs> Whether you pass it on to FRS or not, at least you've got that data internally set up. Absolutely. So what could, uh, how can people look at all these big projects and say, the last thing I need is another big project. This is a huge elephant. How do I how do I do this? In the departments you've worked with, is there an easy way that they can take your initial surveys and figure uh, initial surveys and import that data so they don't have to go in and, and insert all those questions or what have you found so far ways to make it any easier
1: so what i found basically for ours is I had to just basically go back through infers and search through because infers isn't set up for that that uh, data capture it doesn't capture a lot of the stuff that we look for all I could find in a lot of our stuff was was there a victim um, victim's age and some of them if it was recorded the sex of the victim, and then if they're transported. So I couldn't really fill in the rest of the survey on some of them because of that, but I still got the fact that we had a victim on this fire, this is where they were at, and they were transported, and they were were either pulled out with a pulse or without a pulse, um, and they were transported. But I had to go back and actually input that information in our survey uh, manually. And like I said, I haven't done back – I've done back to 2018 in the actual survey, but as far as back to 2013, I just got a notepad where I've just been writing down incident numbers, dates, and victim age and stuff that I haven't got back in and put in our survey. So, I, to be honest, unless there's another reporting system out there that captures all that, I don't know how else you'd be able to do it other than just going back manually. But even then, nothing says you have to go back and do your, your past ones. Start fresh, and over time you're going to get that, that data set. It's going to take a little bit longer, but at least you're starting somewhere, and um, making it to where you actually have that information. So that, was, that would be my my uh, opinion would be to just get something started. Yeah, you may not see a whole lot of data if you if you're not making a lot of rescues, you may not see a whole lot of data up front, but in the long
0: run, it's going to be it's going to pay off. Uh, somebody starting tomorrow to say, uh, Justin, I want to do this. How long is it going to take me to set up that in Google Forms or you know, can you copy and paste questions? Can you copy a whole survey? And I import that into mine and make that my own survey, or how, how can I do that? So the way it worked, or the way I, I found it to work on forms, um, on Microsoft
1: forms, and Google Forms is very similar. That's another avenue, too. Um, you just have to have a Gmail account to get to it. But basically, I had the FRS questions on one screen or on a piece of paper, and then you just go in there and you type in the question. You have to do it manually you're just going to type in the question and then type out what answers you want, how you want the answers. And I think it took me, I don't know, maybe an hour to create our survey. And then um, all you do is send out that link and and the survey is done there. Now, to go on and do the, the My Maps, that's real simple too. Once you get data, then at least Google Forms allows you to export that into uh, Excel format. So you take that file, that Excel file, and you just... Um, Upload it to Google Maps on the My Maps uh, website, and then create that map, and it automatically populates all those surveys into that map. So that's nice about that because you don't have to go in and put in specific information in the map. But as far as building the survey, I'd say maybe an hour at tops if you just copy all FRS questions.
0: It seems like a no-brainer to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually really simple.
0: Nice. Uh, so, Justin, I appreciate your time and everything. How can people get a hold of you if, if they need more information, they're interested in doing this themselves, or or just want to have a chat with you?
1: Uh, they contact me on my email, justin.lorenzen at okc.gov. It's my work email. It's the one I use the most. Um, or just my personal cell phone, 405-740-1256. Um, of course, obviously, I'm on Facebook. And uh, whether my personal page Justin Lawrenson or my training officer page. It's called the training officer. Uh, those are probably the two easiest ways to contact
0: me or go through brush. If they know brush, they can go through him. He'll give them my
1: information as well.
0: Very cool. Anything else you want to share? Man, I don't think so. Well, dude, we appreciate you taking the time away from the training ground to uh, share this and hopefully uh, we'll just keep pushing pushing out good information, good training, and uh, more grabs and rescues. Um, For anybody that's not familiar with FRS, you can go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. If you get a grab, assist her alive, or deceased, go ahead, put that information in, and that information's for us, by us. Uh, Like Justin said, nobody's making a profit of it. We're just trying to get accurate information so we can train our guys accordingly. I guess that's all I got today, too, but... I appreciate it again, Justin. We will talk soon. And then until next time, thanks for listening to Journeyman. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it.